you mentioned in one of your Walking with Sean podcasts you were listening to uh, the Christmas uh, La La song and yeah. still weren't weren't sure what you thought about it. Well, yeah. I, I really love that song. And mm. I love it in part because it's such this wonderful balance be- between um, being like a silly parody and a like actual... Yeah. An actual um, meditative, uh, like he's talking about, uh, he alternates between talking about, you know, having a drink and also just uh, very reverent, mm. you know, like there, it's so it, it, it walks this line where it veers between being a, a, a silly parody of the Christmas idea and a real deep reverence for the Christmas idea at the same time. Yeah, and I, and I love that about it. Mm. I love that about it. So I, I just think it came out beautifully. I was feeling pretty good for la 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 la. Taking my time on the la 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 la. Snow falling down in the la 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 la. Everybody singing like la 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 la. Decking all the halls with the la 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 la. Making my way to the la 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 I like to drink a little beer at the end of the day show actually asked me to write a christmas song uh-huh and, and whatever and a few years ago um and i thought oh that's that's impossible you know <laughs> you can't because it's such a narrow <laughs> weird niche of there are, music every writing. christmas song has already been written yeah and, and you just you can't just sit down and go oh you know where's the you can't find that that's an that seems like impossible uh so um I thought, okay, well, if anything I write over the next month sounds vaguely like a Christmas song, you know, kind of I'll after run, the fact, I'll, I'll run with I'll, it. I'll take, I'll make that the Christmas song, and and then that sort of song came up, and I think it came out of that conflict where I was like, you know, I immediately pictured, and I love Christmas songs, but they do have, you know, <laughs> this a built-in, generally a built-in kind of. Uh, you know, uneasy saccharine yes. quality to them. Yeah. Even if I love them, I'm just well. They you know, have a short, some... a short shelf life, or rather, a short like you know. Yeah, you can only, only you love can listen them to them for a month out of the year. <laughs> yeah, you don't listen to White Christmas anytime, but that sort right. of that, you know, that sort of sensual period prior to Christmas, <laughs> right? I don't know. You're sort of moistening yourself like as a child with warming yourself by this fire that actually doesn't exist. Yeah, well, I don't know about you, but uh, just because of the darkness and a lot of grim family members uh, memories, I find Christmas time actually to be the absolute worst time of the year to get through. And when yeah. I hear about, you know, 
all the people that die, you know, around <laughs> Christmas or shortly yeah, after. Yeah, tough. I say I can start, especially this winter was hard with our, our heating problems. I can start to understand, like, you know, I can see how people would say, oh, screw it, I can't do this another year. <laughs> well, there's a lot of polarities around uh, that, yeah. I mean, that's like, as <laughs> as merry as it is, it's also a kind of a doomsday. Yeah, you know? yeah. Well, it's, I mean, it's, the aspect of it I like is people huddling around a fire for warmth and realizing that this is this, you know, this is how we get through the dark times we sit around the fire and tell stories and light candles you know right. mm. and try and convince ourselves that it will one day be uh, the sun will come back <laughs> <laughs> mm. but uh, uh the rest of it just uh all the the um you know you have you must be cheerful you must give gifts you must be uh jolly and it's just like <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I at the same time I really I I I tend to admire the um the instinct for such a thing even if it's all, you know, whatever sort of ruined in tinsel. Uh the kind of the instinct and you know, the, I think there is a real uh, aside from the the darker parts that are also there. I think there is a real uh sort of swelling of some kind of sense of humanity around that time of year. Yeah. Um, and well, it's kind of like after 9-11 when, you know, people in New York were nice to each other for a little while. <laughs> That's sort of that, that basic humanity <laughs> bubbled up. And I think it bubbles up around around Christmas, even, well, it does, even though it's hard to see. It is some of my best childhood memories as well as some of the worst. So it's just, mm. it brings out a lot. But anyway, I, I just wanted to mention I. I liked that song in particular, uh, the smoke song, one you did a little video for. I thought the, it was the, t- terrific. Also, the oh yeah, that's just that's a Sean song, right? Yes, I, I didn't do that as Sherwin. Yeah, yeah right. Kittery's eyes followed the line of the pointing rope into the starry sky, to where her father floated high in the winds above the swamp. There's smoke in the forest where the forest ought to be I ought to climb down this old burning tree But I'm looking out the ocean, looking out the sea But there's smoke in the water where my boat used to be Boat used to be Boat used to be Now Send my love a letter, said, won't you marry me? But she burned the letter up, now smoke's all I see. Always love my true love, but she don't love me. Cause there's smoke in her heart, in the place I ought to be. I ought to be. I ought to be. And then uh, there's... There's one from Kittery Embers also uh, that's sort of, it's done, it's in Sherwin's voice. It's in a bluesy style. Uh, it's Pilgrim Beneath the Bodhi Tree. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. That was, a, that was a wedding song, actually, originally written as a wedding song for some people. Really? Yeah. <laughs> so I you, think so, yeah. That, so I do occasionally reuse songs. Yeah, right, yeah. Um, if they feel like they fit. Right. Um, and if they've sort of only had a limited exposure in one place. But 
originally that was a wedding song for some the people who went on the Ron and Fez show and got married on, on air. Um, and I actually wrote two wedding songs for them, and I don't know if they played them both or one of them, whatever. But. So that might, that one might not even have a, a wedding-y feel, but that's what I was trying to do. Maybe that's what I wrote too. <laughs> well, it fit really well in this idea that uh, it, it fit in the setting where uh, Kittery was, her life had just exploded in front of her. And she was coming, she was right. in this, this state of, of recovery, of uh, gradually uh, healing from this. Right, and, and the, under the tree sequence. And, yeah, and launched launched into her, her the sort of spiritual aspect of her, her trip. I've been lying on this manger down beneath the boldy tree like a pilgrim bound for mega. But the road is all I see So I lay down in the starlight Fell asleep and had a dream That I'd hunted all the mountains And I'd captured all the trees Now lay my head down And let my heart talk about let's talk about kittery embers um there's there's lots more we could talk about but um let me just sort of introduce this uh real quick um so yeah in the podcast so well let's finish up with the uh you're doing this sequence of six which is people pay to access although you you gave away some subscriptions as well but um and this being a sort of a six-part series, a continuance of, of the Adams and Motion and the Void story arc, and not only uh, the sort of story episodes themselves, about 30 minutes or so each, uh, each with original songs, instrumental and songs, you're also doing asides, and you started doing b-sides, which are... <laughs> Little uh, digressions in character and in world, and then some video clips in character, and then maybe some bits that are uh, where you're sl- maybe in character, maybe half out of character. Um, it's a little disorganized. Yeah. So, but this this is uh, sort of leads into Kittery because when I first started hearing the Kittery stories, I said, "Oh, Sherwin is telling a story." Right. It's um. When I started doing the, the Kittery Embers thing, it was, uh, I thought I had, uh, and I, th- I think I, I thought I had a, a good um, um, possible book that at the end of the writing that I could try to uh, sell. Yeah, but, well, I think, but you, I, I think you might. I think you do. Um, but, um, but I realized as I started to write it that I really needed this, um, this audio um, part to it you know actually writing chapters and then uh treating them as something that i would create as audio it became became a very very instrumental sort of part of my writing process that was part of your your editing was listening to how it came out when you said it no 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 it's more the in terms of uh getting a chapter to a um 
a well enough place that I felt like I could record it gets me to... It forces uh, you to do a lot of polishing and editing. Yeah, and for me, it just gets me, I, and it allows me to continue. I, for some reason, you know, I, I wrote like two or three of the chapters, and I just felt like, wow, I don't know, I, this is, uh, I, my method of writing requires that I take each one of these segments and really consider it as an audio experience. Yeah. And for some reason, that allows me to really clarify what my ends are. It's kind of like if anybody says, you know, about writing, you know, one thing you need to do is you wonder if some, you have the grammar right, read it aloud and see how it sounds. So I kind of need to get to a point where I'm, I'm reading the story out loud and hearing how it sounds in order to know that, okay, I can move on to the next part. And I've also, and I feel like I trust these, the elements of the story that I'm, because I don't, I don't really want to concretely think about them in like an outline form. I want mm-hmm. it to all be kind mm-hmm. of abstract and inside, inside me in some ways. And I can feel like if I can get to an audio, if I can record the audio and I feel like I've gotten to that place, I feel like, okay, everything is contained inside at least well enough that I can then continue on. So unfortunately or whatever, it, it became a part of my writing process. And I, you know, I feel like I have to record everything in some ways in order to understand or to know that I've gotten to a good place for me in order to continue. That's interesting because um, I started at my very first podcast and I still want to get back to some of this was, uh, was reading other people's work, especially public domain fiction stuff that's lapsed into public domain. William Hope yeah. Hodgson, who's a, a British horror fantasy writer from 1920 and, and before. Um, and some things don't work out loud, you know? Right, yeah. So, some material just doesn't read well. Yeah. Uh, some of his stories read really well, and some, he's got a novel called The Nightland, which is this huge rambling, uh, both beautiful and monstrous, uh, monstrously long work. <laughs> and if you try, I keep kept trying to come up with some technique where t- to bring out the beauty of the language and reading it and, and reading it sometimes slower would work better than reading it faster, you know, get people mm. to really focus on the music of the language. Then I heard a man curse on that part of the hill which lay towards the weed continent, his cry coming up to me against the wind. And the bosun shouted to us all to have a care, and directly afterwards I smote at something that rose silently above the edge of the cliff, opposite to where I watched. Perhaps a minute passed, and then there came shouts from all parts of the hilltop, and I knew that the weed men were upon us. And in the same instant there came two above the edge near me, rising with a ghostly quietness, yet moving lithely. But that, that's mm. interesting that that's part of your process, because uh, it's really dense work. I mean, it, it, they're short. If you, if you, I don't know how many words, but it seems to me like if you were to publish uh, one chapter, it would be a fairly short story. Um, yeah, I think each chapter is around, I don't know, eight to ten uh, pages. Yeah, uh, okay. That's usually, fun. I mean, and usually the Adams episodes are eight to ten pages. That's about my my length. I mean, I don't know if it's, you know, I don't think it's single space, maybe sp- space and a half um, okay and i don't know what the word count is either 
Okay. Oh, I was, I'm trying to think what that is. I, I, you know, don't, I've published a few stories, but I don't usually think in terms of say killer words, you know? <laughs> right. Right. But, uh, people do, uh, people who are pros at this are always, uh, I mean, I, in terms of length, I, I think we're probably, you know, with the six chapters, I, I, I sort of feel like it would go to 20. 20,000 words. No, to, no to, maybe 20 chapters, 20, 24 chapters. And I don't know what length book that would be. Oh, but, okay. Um, so you, yeah. you were imagining that this, you've got about a quarter of the story under, like, produced. Yeah, yeah. And then I, a, that sounds about right in terms of where... Uh, where the characters are in terms of their mood <laughs> and yeah. their struggle, you know? Yeah, where we're at is sort of a, a quarter of the way through, I think. Okay. Well, so, yeah. um, so I just I had some notes. This is, it's a tightly focused story. It has original songs. Uh, it's amazing, too. There's a, a, I just wrote this before you called, um, there's a, a ritual, I think it's in rural Italy, where there's a rite of passage for boys where their parents uh, actually take a sapling in the woods and split it in half mm. without killing it, right right through the middle. Mm. And they strip the young boy, he's like just about ready for puberty, naked, and they make him go through the tree. Mm. And then they bind the tree back up, and this is like a rite of passage. And... I remember seeing this on some kind of PBS uh, story or something. And this uh, is such an unusual thing. It's so striking. It's a, it's so vivid and novel that there's no way that the child would ever sort of forget that you, that, you know, he is now had mm. this rite of passage, you know, he's, uh, he's been granted this, uh, this change, this change of life has happened. That's going to be emblazoned in his memory until the day he dies. And I bring that up because uh, in the Kittery Ember story, there are these images and events that are so striking and surreal. And I don't mean to, to sound like, you know, it's uh, you know a Francis Bacon uh, painting. It's not a Picasso painting. You know, it's not grotesque. It's not a freakish or just meant to be shocking. In a way, a lot of it comes out of a very... Uh, long tradition of magical realism and fantasy, but mm. they are striking nonetheless. Uh, and I won't give too many spoilers, but I'm thinking of uh, the sequence where the artificial ducks in a pond with their artificial little beaks are are fastening onto the characters and yeah. uh, dragging them down into the water. Ah, good, she said, counting the ducks. Towdy Duck has already dropped with Miss Trunwith. Go out into the water, Darcy. Barton Duck will convey you along to our new home. Oh, what fun we'll have. And you'll love it there. A bright old palace on a hill. The old woman swung something suddenly into the air, and Darcy stared at the watery splash on the far side of the pond. There was a vaguely familiar pile of black and white feathers floating near one of the wooden ducts. Supper time, Reston, the old woman called and laughed at her little joke. The wooden duck, named Reston, bit down upon the woodpecker's wings and dragged the larger bird down into the water. The old woman hobbled weakly over the grassy edge and splashed into the shallows. Time to go, she said quietly to herself. 
She took a few more steps and then fell forward into the pond. She took a deep breath as one of the last ducks jittered quickly toward her. She extended her hand toward it, and its wooden beak bit down. Take your time, of course, Dossie, the old woman said. She took a final short gasp, and the duck sank like a stone, pulling her down into the darkness. Dossie felt the stinging bite around his belly, and before he could even take a helpful breath, his face hit the hard water, and he was plunging down toward the bottom of the little black pond. And that was just, you know, one of these moments that derails my, my analytical mind. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's go, something... Um, wow. <laughs> there's something very troubling about um, automatic ducks, I think. Yeah. <laughs> there's something about uh, these things that are moving on top of water, they're being controlled by something under the water and... Well, I, I'm imagining this, that this was something you might see in a disreputable amusement park somewhere. In the near distance, the disk of a previously unseen black pond opened against the limey flats, perfectly circular and still. As they jogged by, Kittery counted four brown ducks on the surface. She smiled, relieved by the presence of wildlife. Fake! Mrs. Gramshaw whispered. Yeah, and now it's like feel. walled off and they said, oh, that's still running, but don't, don't get too close. There was an accident a few years ago. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it, it, it's, it does. It's like a horror film. Uh, oh, in a maybe good and bad way. In a, in a good way. But I mean, this isn't the only, this is just the, the, the most recent one that comes to mind. But, um, but this is, well, I wanted to ask you, so, You've, you've clarified some questions I had because you love language. That's really clear. I mean, you uh, you use you love alliteration and phrases, and I, I don't you know I don't think you're these things just seem to spill out of your writing. And where um, you know you're talking about uh, like uh, the um, there's one of the rules where uh, in the rule book where Kittery is not supposed to be naked outside. That's where you hide your hide, and it's oh, right. just that, that's just a cute homonym. But it's funny too, and it just uh, is striking. About you use a lot of homonyms and alliteration, and you use uh, just a lot of very funny language. Uh, Kittery has given nicknames to all her toys and her notebook and her uh, her this and that. Yeah, I think that's just all you know. Um, yeah, just trying to have fun. Well, it you is. Know, it is fun. It comes across as fun, but it's it's a uh, it's a. Uh, I, I was the original question had been, where did that come from? What love of language? I mean, and I was going to ask, were you an English major? And it, you've answered that already. And you uh, have a love yeah. of literature and an enjoyment of that sort of thing. Well, I think um, uh, that's a tough question. Uh, but I, th I think it comes a, a lot out of um, whatever it is that drives me to music. And there's something... Um, I mean, there's a reason that Sherwin doesn't speak in, you know, with an American accent. He sort of has a, whatever, strange pan-European... Vaguely British, yeah. ...voice. Uh, because I've, I always, I've always, um, you know, I'm not really an Anglophile in a typical sense, but I'm an Anglophile in terms of language. I love listening to um, 
any kind of foreign take on uh, the English language just because I, f- I just find it much uh, richer in expression. You know, there's something really flat <laughs> about the way that I talk. And it, it seems that, uh, you know, in the same way that the, the Eskimos have whatever, <laughs> thousand, thousand words for, for snow. However many, right. Yeah, yeah. The, that the British or whoever, uh, anyone with any kind of um, accent seems to have a much greater variety of expressions around simple things. You know, they can say that, you know, that's going to be terribly, terribly cold these upcoming days. And then they could say it in many different ways and that if we said it, we would say it's going to be terribly cold. Right. It doesn't have any um, beauty in it and it doesn't have any impact a lot of the times. It feels to me like American English doesn't have the kind of impact and expressiveness that uh, the English, uh, you know, uh, have when they're speaking. I just find myself much more engaged in that world of language in that sort of place. And it's sort of musical. It's sort of like there's not just this one flat heartbeat way to say things like the way I say them. There's this very beautiful, you know, much is, more interesting way to isn't, say. Isn't that also a little bit of a sense of, uh, I don't want to say elitism, but like uh, neocolonialism almost, you know, feeling like... Uh, that our American, I mean, my accent is is Great Lakes region. Yours is, I don't, you don't sound that much of a Yankee to me, as as in uh, someone from Nantucket or something like that. But it's it's maybe more Eastern, I guess. But uh, why would we, I don't know, why would we denigrate that and call it flat, you know, and and boring? Well, that's just my own feeling. That that oh. I I just find I find, um, and I'm not saying that. Um, Amer- spoken American English can't be beautiful. Well, I, I just, I'm, I'm just saying, I'm not sure we give it enough credit for being its own vernacular thing. Yeah, its own beautiful I, vernacular thing. I guess I see, I see our language as, as, um, and the way that we speak it as, as, uh, as suffering from a kind of, uh, I don't know what it is, but it feels like there's something pressing down <laughs> on us and it's keeping us from fully expressing in some kind of way in the way that we speak. And, um, but this is my own feeling. Let's you know, say, if I, it's I, interesting. When I started recording stories and editing them and playing them back, even other people's writing, I had to listen very closely uh, and figure out... W- what is my accent? People pick up accents um, accidentally, you know, they mm. pick up pronunciations and phrasing and rhythms to their speech accidentally. And it may not even be uh, the accent of the region they're from. Right. I mean, I think if you look at the way, if you look at like um, Hollywood movies in a kind of cliche way, uh, a lot of actors enjoy you know, taking on like a Southern accent or right. doing the kind of um, Fargo kind of yeah. Minnesota thing. And there's something about character in language that gets expressed and is much more fulfilling to try to discover or 
there's an expressiveness that you gain if you're suddenly talking like a southern gentleman. You, you know, there's something that that <laughs> it doesn't seem to, you don't have that guy as a regular American. You know, he, th- wonder, that guy doesn't seem to exist. I wonder if that's in part just because it forces uh, people as listeners to slow down and, and focus on what you're saying, you know, because it's because it's a little bit different. It's a little novel rather than... Yeah, I don't know. It may be it a prejudice. You, know. you don't sound like Dan Rather. You don't sound like an uh, an Iowa newscaster accent. Uh, I, say, I get the, sort of the same. So I listen to BBC uh, radio a lot. And uh, yeah, the, there's this sense in which it, the, the the received pronunciation seems like it has authority. And I, I'm not not criticizing you. I'm just saying I, I just wonder whether we still give as you know a colony. We still gives too much uh, credit, well, too much authority to you know to anyone who's. I, I was over in the UK in England very briefly for a week um, long ago, 90, 1993 or so, and I was fascinated traveling around, visiting some people, some friends of a friend, and going to different places, meeting people who lived all within a few hundred miles of each other or a few, you know, a few dozens of miles of each other and all had fascinatingly different accents, you know. Right. So I mean, I, I think it's possible if I was in, you know, England, I would look at the American accent and, and be in love with it. I, you know, I did have that sense way. that people were, were uh, interested in what I had to say. Yeah. Even if it was dumb, <laughs> yeah. Because well, it's more, it, there's some, um, you know, it's uh, it, you know, there's something similar to like when you go and see a movie and it's subtitled, you know, you 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 read it in a different way, you know, you're picking yeah. up something in a different way, and when you hear someone speak in a in a in a way that you, where you're actually listening to the sound of it because it's different sound, you know, it's automatically richer or more interesting, and so you can be taken by it. So maybe all I am is just taken by uh, something that seems more expressive to mm. me, or it may, but it's just my own perception. It's not actual truth. You know, mm. it just seems like it. But Well, for, for whatever exact reason, uh, the, the voice and the accent really do work to, to certainly get people's attention, you know, and keep their attention. Well, I don't so. think I could, I, I don't feel like I have any kind of range of expression as myself, uh-huh. you know, I, I, and we're as just me as a, as a talker. Um, and I don't feel like I could do any of the stories, any kind of justice. It just seems like, you know, mm-hmm. it wouldn't, they just wouldn't, it wouldn't be worth it. You know, they'd just, they'd be fine if they were just text rather than have me read them. Well, it's interesting. It's interesting because, uh, you do, I mean, you do say things and you do your your walking episodes and you talk about various things, but of course, when you're, when you're Sean, you're talking about a completely different range of things. I don't think they're uninteresting somehow, but they're different, you know, they're certainly different, and I, I can understand that, that difference. Yeah, I mean, me doing those, the, the walking with Sean things is sort of me coming to terms with myself. Yeah. Um, and you know, giving myself some value where before I may have just been, you know, not want, you know. Well, well, it does have value. I'm interested in your, your musical taste. It, it matches my own. I'm interested in your insights about literature and all that. And uh, so I listen to them. I've been doing a similar thing. You know, I, I'm now on oh, I, 34 episodes of 30. This will be the 34th episode of my podcast. Most of them are either conversation with my wife 
or mm. just me talking. And I don't edit them very much. And I always wonder, is this actually valuable? But I enjoy listening to them at least. So yeah, I mean that's the primary thing I think. Uh, so uh, some, you know, at some point other other people will, and I think occasionally, you know, you sort of cast around for a topic. Um, one of them, I was driving. Uh, I had four hours of driving in a given day, and I just had the recorder in my car, and I just rambled as I was driving, and I came upon, you know, find a topic and get into kind of an impassioned little essay you know which really worked at eventually but then it would you know i'd finish that it would peter out and you'd so anyway that wound up making that a multi-part thing but i i think that's a that's a good part of the process recording yourself and uh and finding your voice and learning to value your voice as it is yeah that's, that's something a, that's like my own struggle you know my my own personal lifelong struggle is to or one of them and maybe it's a small one is to sort of um <laughs> b- believe that I actually exist um, in, in the that's, world that this is uh, actually happening. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, not, not a dress, as, not uh, a dress rehearsal, not as metaphysical as that. But it's more like for some reason, whatever whatever happened to me when I was a kid gave me this sense of of uh, fragmentation uh, or that or, or invisibility, where I you know I became convinced that I actually wasn't exactly. Here with everyone else in the same way they were there, <laughs> so I like I didn't have the rule book or something, or I didn't understand. I, I just felt people mani- manifest this in different ways. I've got a a, a friend I know online who uh, who goes uh, around, you know, tongue in cheek, telling people she's a Zondorian that she comes from another planet, you know, right. and, her, and the rules yeah. there are different, and her. You know, you should see the you should see the forests on Zondor. You know, although sadly they've all been destroyed. But you know, but <laughs> yeah, but people, that's, but that's, that's an childhood. expression of the same thing. Child, that's a childhood thing. People feel dislocated and they don't feel connected, and that's um part of the process. Yeah, is is coming to grips with that because the, the creative child, you know, doesn't fit in. Right. <laughs> quite honestly. Also, uh, what what um children's young adult literature do you think uh informed or or inspired this i when i read it i i'm hearing some of the works that i really loved as a child like the borrowers and dr doodle and um if i went more modern it would be not harry potter but the the dark materials trilogy oh the only thing i've really read is the harry potter of all those oh really yeah i was thinking well it's not quite harry potter but it, it is i can see it in some ways well, the the I think the the Harry Potter quality to it isn't is not specific. It's more of a general thing. Where I really wanted to create something. What I mean, one of the most remarkable things about the Harry Potter books, I think, is um, you know, <laughs> is their range of uh, d- it's sort of demographicless. Yeah, you know, most mystery, most any kind of book that comes out nowadays is specifically aimed or. You, ends up being like you know like the twilight books or new teen paranormal romance shelf yeah. b road for <laughs> and they know exactly how many people are in the audience or if it's a cozy murder mystery book you know they know that's going to be these ladies that are 50 to 70 who you know are widows or whatever they know what their audience is but but this is this the the potter books are just they blow that all apart um a lot and, of adults, you know, a lot of adults read. I read the whole series. Yeah, yeah, and it's you know, and just it's a really, it's a terrifically well crafted 
story. But the I love the I love how you can be six years old or a hundred years old and 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 dig that story. And when it, so when I started thinking about the Kittery Ember story, I thought, well, this I feel like maybe it could be that. Yeah, so. And then it sort of has the child, the kid in the other world type experience, um, but there I don't you know it's strange I don't know the the dark materials or the uh, the borrowers um, and I know Doctor Doolittle from the movies but I don't know I don't know it's it's a strange I don't I don't feel like I have tons of children's literature in my bo- in my brain. What did what did you read as a child? Uh, any things that really st- strike you as as memorable as a child well i did have a huge science fiction fantasy um point from you know 13 to 13 that's the golden age of science fiction so they yeah say. to 20 <laughs> or something like that and then or maybe eight it was it was narrower than that maybe 13 to, to college 18 years old and then i just went into like i just switched from that to Russian literature. The, the literature that I really, then I loved it. And I just, you know, Interesting. I, I really fell into that deeply. And so you saw I, the science fiction as more of a phase that you kind of got tired of or, um, I guess it was in a way. Yeah. It was sort of like I needed the escapism. Yeah. Uh, well, cause I, think I, it was, I still yeah. go back and forth. Like I still read really highbrow stuff and, really escapist stuff and i i had a, a writing teacher who who basically was very critical of of these um distinctions we made between high culture and low culture you know yeah i don't think i have a distinction or i mean i i don't i'm not just sitting here reading moby dick all the day day long you know yeah. i'm reading right now i'm reading like the hunger games uh-huh well, um, it's, 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 it's interesting you should mention moby dick because i'm just talking about that with my son and thing i had i was like prepared to read moby dick i never read it for a class but having heard so much about it i had this impression that it was this terribly difficult right uh, fraught with symbolism and metaphor weighty novel and so i picked it up one day and actually you know got on a remainder table or something picked it up and read it like wow this is a great adventure story i I loved it it's fast-paced it's thrilling you know it's uh it's beautiful writing it sticks in your head i like all the digressions and whatnot this isn't at all what i expected you know and i think what i think what i found at that trade-off point of from science fiction fantasy was that the escapism was still there Mm -hmm. in all the books that i liked (laughs) you know but like uh, they had this google or that kind of thing uh yeah any of those you know there's just the master and margarita yeah, a- a- anything that would take you out of yourself uh, and put you somewhere. But then there was this incredible richness in the in the art and this meaningfulness that I didn't quite find in the um, not not really find in the in the other stuff, which was just more plainly mm-hmm. escapist. Plainly but escapist. In, but in in different, I mean, you know, I I searched for you know there, there I didn't it wasn't like I love you know like I didn't I can't read ulysses it's too hard for me <laughs> yeah well, i <laughs> you know, had to take a class to read ulysses but, um yeah. you know and i feel bad like i can't read, but i you know i'm, I'm you just, mentioned you mentioned dickens in one of your rambles getting just not really yeah grooving with dickens i love the idea of dickens right and i feel right. you know and I've, I've read john irving 
uh, essays about how how deeply he loves Dickens and how Dickens is the father of all these things and how he's, you know, John Irving is saving one Dickens book to read like during the last few years of his life, so he's not reading <laughs> one. So, I, I, you know, and every time I, I hear, and I, I do love Dickens things, you know, like, yeah, but you I haven't the you movies. haven't clicked with it. You haven't you haven't locked into his prose, and I, I can understand that. It's uh, it's it's hard. It's uh, I love digressions. I love his digressions, but it, it's um, it can be a chore to to you sort of look for the reward after the slog rather than the reward as you go along. It seems to me. Yeah, uh, I think it's more like um, you know, I read fifty pages of Great Expectations, and I just I'm not getting it. It's yeah. not, it's not, uh, it's not turning into a little race car that wants to speed off with me. <laughs> so I just let it go. And so I don't have, you know, and I, I don't have a highbrow, lowbrow. I, I'll read whatever seems interesting, but I kind of go back and forth between, you know, things that might be literary and then, and then things that aren't, um, yeah. without real, really too much regard. But I'm really just looking for, you know, to escape and, uh, if there's something meaningful or you know beautiful, that would be good too. If you, if I had to recommend one series that I think you might find fascinating, I would say uh, you should take a look at Gene Wolfe's Book of the New Sun series. Um, it's a uh, science fiction, far flung future, uh, but it's um. It's very literary and written mm. just in such a, a, a beautiful, fascinating style. And well, that's uh, cool. I'll, I'll look at it. A total anti-hero. Uh, the the hero of the uh, is the least likable guy you can imagine. He actually works as a as a torturer. He's part of a guild of torturers and was raised and trained to torture people for his living. Nice. <laughs> no, that I, sounds cool. Yeah. It, anyway, all right. Um, we got to get going soon. I got to, you probably yeah. got stuff to get on with, but let me ask you a question about a couple of quick questions and help me stay on track here. Cause I'm having too good a time to, uh, to want to quit. But, um, the, there's, a there's this theme going on in the Kittery Ember story so far of, uh, I might not be using this correctly. Epistemology where, mm. how, how do we know what we know? Um, mm. There's this theme that comes up regarding the mouse where he's basically a creature of instinct and when he tries to do a lot of thinking, uh, his leaky brain boat tends to fail him. Mm. But he's driven by his whiskers. Right. A and um, Mrs. Embers is sort of uh, programming him to be what the companion that Kittery is going to need. Yeah. So, uh, so that's one way of knowing. That's you have these sort of these rules programmed into, the, programmed into the body, literally like embedded in your in your body. And Kittery seems to be have some imprinting of this going on too. Like, um, there's a line about a stillness is the hospital of wild sorrows. Where she, in other words, if she holds still, she knows. Uh, deep within herself what she needs in order to recover from some of the trauma in the story. Hmm. Well, I think it's hard for me to talk about the, um, you know, like all dummies or writer dummies. Um, a lot of the, a lot of the, the elements are, are driven from 
an abstract reservoir rather than a concrete one. So, um, this is what flowed out. Yeah, but I mean, it's really something that I'm I'm deeply interested in is, um, and it's part of it's part of the my own, you know, self observation and struggle to kind of undo whatever kind of um, Im- imprinted knowledge that I've I've received to kind oh, of go bad, back to bad the, knowledge. Yeah, or yeah, just to to undo the story that I was told I was supposed to live to to try to get back toward that kind of whiskery like life right. of of Dossie where you know because if you ever do or as you begin to discard what you know you begin to see that you know your your body knows and your deeper self knows exactly what to do and, and you know I would never have come up with the the Sherman sleeves thing or, or done any of these stories if it had if I had planned to, you know, or if it had come out of yeah, that uh, didn't come out of the the bunch of index cards. Yeah, that came out of the whiskers of myself. You know, wow. that came out of a, the 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 kind of unmanifested <laughs> part of myself that I, you know increasingly I'm uh, interested in in recognizing. And just sort of allowing, and it's tough. It's hard to figure out, you know. Especially as you're trying, you know, like and I'm trying to move more towards the world in some ways, and like you know, do something with the Kittery Embers book, or try to get an agent, or you know, go into the world. And the closer you move towards that, the less those whiskers seem to be alive, you know? <laughs> right? Right. Uh, to tell you what to do. Um, yeah, I can't can't give you a lot of advice about the the modern fiction market. It did. Uh, occur to me that um, that piece that if you did serialize it, that that's the kind of thing that might fit really well in uh, a print magazine like um, fantasy and science fiction if it still exists. I mean, if it's going to exist, because these little magazines are yeah. so shrunken in circulation, in distribution, in page count, you know. And, yeah. But. Um, the, well, all I can tell you is I think it it would fit in that context really well of the FNSF of ten fifteen years ago maybe I don't, I don't whether it fits today in a, like an Andromeda Spaceways or something like that uh, it's certainly of that caliber absolutely but mm-hmm. is it does it, would would they buy a something to serialize like that is it part of their strategy I, I have no idea but yeah I don't really know what it, you know I have trouble with picturing realities of what it could be or should be or so um yeah it's it's the world like that seems pretty far away all right well it's i've i've kept you for about 90 minutes i really appreciate you taking the time to chat it's been a great fun i was afraid we would be sitting here in kind of a stunned silence and I'd have these awkward questions. And, uh, <laughs> why did you, why did you think that? <laughs> uh, just because I tend to try, you know, it's what I was saying earlier about, uh, worry and wonder, you right. know, if right. I, if I didn't worry about it, I wouldn't, uh, have been relaxed enough to, uh, to enjoy it. Right. So there it is. Anyway, Really appreciate you chatting with me. Um, maybe maybe we can do it again sometime. Yeah, that would be fun. And Anything, uh, I'm I'm happy. I mean, I like I like to talk, and we can talk about. We don't have to talk about me. We can talk about whatever. All right, Sean. Thanks right. so much. 
Okay, Paul, have a good night, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Take care. Bye-bye. Okay, bye.